Pastor Xavier Ruiz with some important simple truths for walking in humility. Everybody begins well. It's the long run. How will you end? Will you treat God's people with love and compassion and service? Or will you get to a place where you think that you need to be served because you're just the hottest thing since ice cream? I have seen many godly, spiritual men climb the ladder of success. And their head has gotten so big, they can't even walk through the door. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When things like cars would stand the test of time, we tend to refer to them as classic, old furniture, antiques, and so on. Well, today, Pastor Xavier explores an age-old sin that has stood the test of time, the stubborn sin called pride. Let's join him in the book of Luke, chapter 9, for today's Simple Truth study titled, Take Heed to the Pride of Life. Grab your Bible if it's handy as we begin. Luke seems to arrange his material at times in groupings of common themes rather than chronological order or or some ontological connection. And such is the case regarding our text here, revealing three sins of pride that um, the twelve were guilty of. First, you have love for preeminence, 46 to 48. Secondly, we have love for party preference, 49 and 50. And third, love for personal vengeance, 51 to 56. Love for preeminence comes first. Notice in verse 46. The personal conflict regarding preeminence is presented to us in a dispute among them as to which of them would be greatest. The 12 got into a heated discussion, is what it says here. The word dispute literally means a quarrel or argument. You know, people say, well, you know, I've been here from the beginning, and you know, I've got certain gifts, and I've done this. What does that mean? Preeminence. This is not just prominence, the seeking of prominence but preeminence to be the first in their group of 12 to be superior. That's the worldly model. You know that, right? A pyramid, and you fight your way up, and now you got to fight to step on top. The kingdom of God is upside-down pyramid. You work your way down to be up on top. Notice the problem with seeking preeminence is given to us in 47, the beginning, and Jesus perceiving the thoughts of their hearts. Here's the problem. Jesus knew their very thoughts behind their heated dispute and argument. Jesus understood the origin of their intent and motive. Here it is, ready? The heart. Their heart was full of pride, evidence of self-seeking here. Our sin nature is bent towards darkness. The principle here is humility. Humility. The love for preeminence is based on self-exaltation. Notice, secondly, the second sin is the love for party preference. In verse 49, the problem is presented here. The 12 concluded that this man delivering another man from demons in the name of Jesus was a problem. (laughs) Who are these guys? The dirty dozen. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Notice they observed this with their own eyes. A demon-possessed person being helped by this other person. 
He was casting out the demons that were tormenting and controlling his life right there when they were seeing that. The man was doing this in the name of Jesus. Mark it well. He was being a mere vessel of Jesus. What is the problem? The problem regarding preference is revealed for us. Listen to the words. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. Who are these guys? They forbid the person from casting out demons in the name of Jesus. The 12 is a group. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. The answer of Jesus to John was short and straight to the point. What Jesus said to John, he intended for all the 12. What Jesus intended for the 12 is applicable to every Christian in every generation. The reason Jesus gave this command was the fact that he who is not against us is on our side. The context is doing the work of God, delivering people from the grip of Satan. Immediate context, demon possession. But in general, the work of God. Demons, as you know, are fallen angels. We've seen this before, and they need to possess a body for what reason we don't know. We just know they do. And the name being used for the deliverance is Jesus. Now, this is Jesus speaking, so think with me. Jesus clearly knew the person was using his name. He doesn't criticize him or object to him, so he's using it properly. That means he's a true believer, okay? There's no censure here. Jesus knew this man was honoring him and giving him all glory, just as much as when the 12 went out or the 70 will go out. The indication is that if a person is not demonstrating hostility towards them, as they are doing the work of God, then the individual is with them. Jesus said, he who is not against us, notice that, he includes the individual as being one of them, us, Jesus and the apostles. Jesus said, he is on our side, the personal pronoun including Jesus, the apostles, and the individual who is doing the work of God in the name of Jesus, scripturally and honorably. When the Jews reviled the man that Jesus healed that was born blind, they said, you are his disciples, we are Moses' disciples in John 9, 28. That elitism, that we're special, we're separate, and we have uh, that special corner on heaven. That's crazy, but it happens all the time. Sectarianism is probably one of the worst sins of the church, especially when it comes to denominations. 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 13, we see that the church was not innocent to this sin of party spirit. Paul rebukes the Corinthians. He says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Having said this, does this mean that Jesus is prohibiting any criticism, even exposing those who are teaching false doctrine? No. It has nothing to do with it. Everybody always throws Matthew 7, don't judge lest you be judged. With the measure you measure out, it's going to come back to you again. That's 
judgment like a Pharisee, critical, finding fault in everything. Because I'm going to give you scriptures that we are commanded to check, examine, rebuke, have people stop. No contradiction. There is a quote that is often used by Christians. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I agree with that. But it's abuse today. Often it's used to partner up with those who teach false doctrine, even heresy, for the sake of evangelism. I reject that. I don't want to partner with people that are teaching false doctrine as a church or as evangelism. And people are rationalizing that, and it's going to bite some of these evangelists. Since they won't expose these people, the world's going to expose these people. Acts gives us the principle of examining doctrine that's being taught. These were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to find out those things were so, Acts 17.11. You are to examine, I am to examine, whether it's biblical, objective truth, not subjective. Paul reproved and warned the Ephesian elders about their future, Acts 20.30. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things and to draw away disciples to themselves. If Paul was here today, he would be marked as self-righteous, unloving, and a legalist by most churches. Paul said, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offense contrary to the doctrine which you learn. Avoid them. There's a reason for the church having the purpose of teaching the saints. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro with every one of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings. Ephesians 4.14. Teaching. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 3-4, As I urge you, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Oh, Paul, I can't believe it. You think you have a corner in heaven? He says, no. I have all of heaven. <laughs> the Word of God. Nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And faith points to the revelation of God's word. This is the plumb line. Second Timothy 4.3, the prophetic warning. Listen. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Look around the church today. So much false doctrine. The Christian is to understand the clear principle of Scripture that Jesus has only one church, united by God's Word and Holy Spirit. All who are born again, repenting of their sins. All who proclaim Jesus is the only way to be saved by grace through faith through His death and resurrection. All who give an ongoing evidence of a transformed life, abiding in Christ through the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 1 and 3 puts it this way, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Did you read that? Did you hear that? We don't create unity. We disrupt unity. It's the Spirit who creates unity. What does the Spirit say? He speaks of Jesus, not of himself. He illuminates the Word. There's the unity, the Word. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One, one, one. Unity. In fact, Ephesians 4, 7 says, but to each one 
of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So as you come to Christ, he gives you the measure of faith for also spiritual gifts in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, 1 Peter 4, 10. That you might be used for the glory of God, humbly, obediently, not bringing attention to yourself, doing what you do for the glory of God because you love him. You know the reason. What's the principle? The principle is unity. How does that unity come? The word of God. Spirit of God. The love for party preference is based on self-righteousness. Third sin is the love for personal vengeance. I know some of you don't have to bother with this, so, but let's go through it anyway, okay? 51 through 54, the problem regarding vengeance is presented on their journey to Jerusalem. The time was towards the end of the ministry of, of Jesus. It says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he was steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Notice the physician Luke here. At this point, if you read the other Gospels, he breaks and departs from Matthew and Mark and gives us new material. He makes a complete break from verse 51 here to chapter 19. Now the particular reference to be received up is to Jesus ascending to heaven from the Mount of Olives, not the death and resurrection. To be receptive from, when, when he went out there 40 days, the word receive means to be taken up. 40 days he spoke to the disciples about the kingdom, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives and he ascended up on how? On the cloud. The angels say, why are you guys standing here gazing? He's going to come back the same way he left. This is to the ascension, not to the resurrection. In Acts 1, 3 through 11. Now the plan of Jesus was to begin to make his way towards Jerusalem. And Jesus told him the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day already in chapter 9, verse 22. But I don't understand it. In fact, in 944, Jesus says, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And so the people to announce this journey forward were commissioned by Jesus. He sent messages before his face. There was no radio, no advertisement, no internet. He sent people to prepare the way, to make the announcements, the preparations. The occasion took place as messengers attempted to make arrangements, probably food, lodging, different things. And notice the location is given. As they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. The Samaritans, you know, were half-breeds. Through the deportation of the ten northern kingdoms, through the conquering of Assyria in 2 Kings 17. And then they would transpopulate them to other nations and then other nations to them, and they let them crossbreed. In this way, they would separate families and take them far away to, to lessen their desire to escape, being depressed and away and having no hope. It's a, it's a great war tactic. It's been used by many civilizations, many nations. Isolation. You break people. There was a strong hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans then because the Jews were pure race, right? The Samaritans, yeah. And so often when the Jews made their pilgrimage to the different feasts, if they went through Samaria, some of the Samaritans would kill some Jews. And Jews would be very hostile to Samaritans also. We get this in the history of Josephus. Remember, Jesus went to the woman at Sychar, the well, the woman of Samaria. 
She was shocked that he would talk with her, especially being a rabbi, a man. The reason for rejecting Jesus is stated. We're not left to guess. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus was bypassing their temple at Gerizim near Sychar. Remember the woman says, we worship here. He says, you don't know what you worship. We the Jews do. But there comes a time when you will have to worship in spirit and truth. Then you reveal themselves the Messiah. And she realized that. Jesus being a Jew was treating them with disrespect. Listen, from their perspective. Because they have a certain worldview, right? And that worldview becomes real. And if something goes against it, you become offensive. You become defensive. You become indignant. So you act it out. The desire to retaliate against the Samaritan was by two of the 12 apostles in verse 54. The two were named the sons of thunder, as we've mentioned in Mark 3.17. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they're checking it all out. The two brothers wanted to kill the Samaritans. (laughs) Here's a hatred. They said, Lord... Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And a big smile on their face. The passage of Elijah is in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 10, as he is being sought out by the king and all his generals. Peter, James, and John just saw Elijah up in the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9, 28 to 36. So it was only natural to, hey, Elijah, he... He just barbecued them. Let's do the same. Maybe to show their devotion to Jesus. Even perhaps how they would rule once they arrived at Jerusalem. There would be no one to mess with. Too often in ministry, this is what happens. Everybody begins well. It's the long run. How will you end? Will you, will you treat God's people with love and compassion and service? Or will you get to a place where you think that you need to be served because you're just the hottest thing since ice cream? I have seen many godly, spiritual men climb the ladder of success. And their head has gotten so big, they can't even walk through the door. It's ugly. There's nothing joyous about it as a Christian. There's nothing joyous about it as a pastor. It's a horrible example to those that are looking on. The principle to warn us from falling into this sin is in 55 and 56. Jesus rebuked them for their desire for vengeance. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The implication being they should have known they were without excuse. You as a parent have a child who's 10, 12, 15, and they do something boneheaded. And you say, what is the matter with you? The implication is you knew better. Simple. Their desire and intent for vengeance was their sinful nature. They were not desiring or responding after God's nature. Elijah was an economy of law but they were in the economy of grace. Look at 56. Jesus reminded the two apostles that he was the example for their lives. Jesus had, was headed down to Jerusalem to die for the Samaritans. 
For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The Samaritans thought that he was insulting them by bypassing them. What they didn't realize is he was going to save them. He was going to the cross to make the provisions for them to be saved. Because our worldview is so tweaked, we don't understand the intents of God at times. Jesus has no feelings of revenge when people reject him or speak evil of him. But he has compassion. Jesus sees them as lost sheep, blind by their sin and pride, as the woman of Samaria in John 4. So what does Jesus do? He just moves on to the next village. They went to another village. Jesus doesn't force any person to receive him. Jesus will not violate their free will of rejecting him. And so we, as representatives of Jesus, we share God's love and grace and how he can forgive and save. And we make no compromise that he is the only way, the only name, the only mediator. But we're not salesmen. We're not trying to make a sale. I share with all the love and compassion, and that person has to make that decision. I'm praying the Holy Spirit convict them and open their eyes. But I don't get mad if they reject me or the gospel. I continue to pray for them for another opportunity. Jesus from the cross prayed for the forgiveness of his executioners. Listen, he's the greatest example here for this point. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Luke 23, 34. Whoa. I've got no excuse. Maybe someone at work has um, rejected Jesus as you've ministered unto them, or even you. But they're really not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. So you, you can't take it personal. Or you'll be like the disciples. Oh, I, I don't know these guys. You know, I, you know, they want to go to hell and go to hell. I'm not going to share none more. So you're just like the apostles here. No different. But you don't understand. I'm the only Christian. Are you, you're the only Christian where you work? God must really trust you. These individuals are doing only what you once did before you were born again. They need to see your love through Jesus. The most powerful gospel is your life example. No other. Jesus kept persevering on, preaching, praying, walking towards the cross. 1 Peter 4 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. What's the principle? The principle is love. God's love, not our fickle love. The love for personal vengeance is based on self-deception. Luke has revealed these three sins of pride that the twelve were guilty of to warn us, to warn every generation, every Christian, because we still have sin nature. If we're not willing to die to self and be transformed by the work of the Spirit and the work of God, then we will just play church and be self-deceived. The love for preeminence is based on self-exaltation. The love for party preference is based on self-righteousness. The love for personal vengeance is based on self-deception. Pastor Xavier Reese.
understand the importance of walking in love. More simple truths drawn from our study series of the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you'd like a copy of today's message titled, Take Heed to the Pride of Life, it's available on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll be including everything we heard the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, Take Heed to the Pride of Life, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This helps us check on the impact of this outreach in your area. How important is it to reach out to others? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese next time on Simple Truths. Reach out to someone you know and join us then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com